What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 52. We're joined today by the executive editor and co-founder of Green Market Report, Deborah Borchardt. Green Market Report focuses on the financial news of the rapidly growing cannabis industry. They provide a deep dive into the financial, business, and economic side of the space by consolidating critical news in one place. Deborah has her master's in journalism with time spent at the street and as a freelancer for Forbes before co-founding Green Market Report. Sign up for their daily newsletter and find out more at greenmarketreport.com and enjoy the show. Deborah, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks, Rob, for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to bring you on and, and talk shop a little bit here. I had, um, went through the notable leaders um, as flagged for 2023 over in Green Market. And while messaging some of them to bring them on the show, I was like, man, I need to bring Green Market actually on the show for making this list. So it's awesome to have you on to talk about the journalism side and some of the business and financial impacts that are going on in the space. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, my background was in Wall Street, and I left Wall Street and got my master's in business and economic reporting from New York University. And then after that, I went to work at the street with Jim Cramer, and it was there that I started covering cannabis. And um, like most mainstream outlets, they really didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. They thought it was just a bunch, I mean, it is kind of a bunch of penny stocks, but um, it wasn't really <laughs> an important or serious industry for them. And I thought it was going to be huge. And so I ended up freelancing and then um, I wasn't really happy with the freelance work I was doing. So in 2017, I co-founded Green Market Report with Vince Patetti and Cynthia Salarizada. And then in 2021, we were acquired by Crane Communications. So I'm the executive editor of Green Market Report. So we've been online for six years now. Wow. And six years in cannabis is about 12 years in anything else. Indeed. And then add to that media. I, I always Does the media people, put a tax on it too? I don't know what's crazier to start a, a cannabis company or a media company. And I did both. <laughs> yeah, right. Taking both of those those approaches on. The, the media grind and journalism in general, it really feels like it's a treadmill. And once you set your pace, you're kind of, you're, you're working, right? To keep that pace up. Uh, was journalism always in your future? Did you know you wanted to write early on? Or did you find your way to business journalism through a different path? Um, I actually did have a creative background. I had been writing um, plays. I was doing like a bunch of off-off-Broadway oh, cool. plays in the city, in New York City. And so I did have a little bit of a writing background. Um, but Definitely. But, and, and did some acting and stuff. And, but I didn't have the journalism experience. So by getting my master's, I was able to kind of combine my business experience from Wall Street with my creative experience of writing. And so that's how I brought those two together. And kind of then, the perfect cross there. Yeah, yeah. And then specifically, um, one of the jobs I had at Bear Stearns for a while was 
I was an equity research liaison with the clearing client. So I was accustomed to talking about the market and talking about uh, stocks. So I had a, a real good training in that. So the, a certain all kind of jargon fire. or patois, right? To right. talk about it. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say distinguishes a journalist from a writer? Well, with journalism, you're specifically dealing in the information that you have sourced. Um, so I do see a lot of people that call themselves cannabis writers or cannabis, you know, that they're covering the cannabis industry and they're really bloggers. And the difference, which, which a lot of people don't really understand, is that when we're writing a story, we source it, um, we have data, we have a report that we're pointing to or a court document. We're interviewing people. Um, we don't just go with something that someone just calls us up and tells us about. Um, I sit on a lot of stories that I can't prove or that someone isn't willing to go on the record. Ah, um, so that's, that's a, a difference. distinguishing factor, right? Like it's based on truth or it's more observing an existing document or existing case, um, business change rather than maybe providing your opinion on a, on a news piece or educating on cannabis and things like that. Right. Or, or, you know, anonymous, you know, people that that's just not how we operate We're, on assumptions or anything like that. Right. It needs to be concrete. It has to be, uh, verified. So we vet and verify what we write. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's an interesting, um, path to moving from the creative side where you're building characters, even playing characters yourself. And then now your writing is tied to real world truth. Um, was that hard for you or was part of that kind of refreshing to change the writing kind of stage? Well, I think what's interesting about journalism is what a lot of people don't um, also realize if you're really good at what you do is we're still crafting a story. We're just crafting a story with these bits and pieces that, again, we've verified. I see. So rather, it sets some, so some hoops for you. We have a narrative, <laughs> um, so you're, you, which you as the reader probably don't realize that we're doing that in our writing as we're trying to tell you a story. So ultimately, in journalism, I am telling you a story. I'm a storyteller, but I'm a storyteller with specific things that I am basing my story on versus, to your point, just a, a creative fictional character or a creative fictional story. That's a, that's a good distinction as well. And mm -hmm. showing that there's room for creativity in all of the, in all of the writing and, and the different ways you can do that. When you first started writing about cannabis and the industry was in the penny stock days, uh, did, did you do that out of a passion for cannabis you already had, or was cannabis playing a role in your life? Um, throughout your career, or did the two kind of um, intersect later in, in the business life? So when I started um, noticing these companies, um, they were penny stocks, so uh, they were which means they trade for less than a dollar. Um, there was a lot of people or companies that were putting the name marijuana in their title, and then the stock would go up a thousand percent. They wouldn't have anything to do with cannabis or or, or marijuana at all, but wow. <laughs> they it was just con jobs. It was just a bunch of stock fraud. And um, a lot of these pay people are kind of recidivist um, white collar criminals. So a lot of people that were in the, in the uh, financial crisis and the, the mortgage loan nonsense back then, they were just recycling themselves into cannabis. 
Wow. And so, yes. yeah, that was, in the early days, that's really what, what, what I saw a lot of. Um, not the GTIs of today or truly or purely for any of those big companies. These were just, you know, a bunch of shysters in common. And so for <laughs> me, as a, as a reporter, that's kind of like catnip. You know, you got some scandal, you've got some con men, you've got swindlers. The stories there. They were great <laughs> stories to tell. Um, and then I also had a passion for helping out the small investors. So these were people losing money and they were people that had invested $200 or $500, which really doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to them it was a lot of money. And so again, mainstream media, they don't really care about the $500 investor or the retail investor as we, as we call them. Um, and I kind of became like, that became my passion was to fight for those little investors that nobody else was fighting for. They still need that ad advisory content. They still want to know what's happening, but it's just on a different scale and it might need to be in a different language to, right, to really transcend the, the boundaries at that level of investment. Um, yeah, and it, and it takes time to do the work. It takes time to do the research and to dig through all these financial filings to find out you know, people that are behaving badly because they're pretty good at what they do, so they're pretty good at hiding it and covering it. And most of those filings are so complicated in the jargon that a lot of people just miss it and you know you have to be very familiar with the terms and and be willing to deep dive and actually read read yeah. those financial statements not just look for the summaries right or some key numbers exactly so getting getting green market report actually started then uh, was there a catalyst for the idea or you mentioned that your freelance work wasn't as as fulfilling was it just a draw that to come back to the cannabis space or that kind of interest of the new market that, that pulled you over to green market or had that idea get traction? So why I, I was writing for, for outlets like Forbes and Seeking Alpha. And the problem with Forbes was it was a very broad general audience. And so I would have to um, explain things constantly. A cannabinoid is this. Every CBD time. is this. THC yes. is that. And so I would be five paragraphs into the story before I was actually getting to the story. And then with Seeking Alpha, it was um, it had to be like an actionable piece. So you had to say, buy this stock or sell this stock. And I wasn't comfortable with that. So I see. I, I wasn't yeah. finding that sweet spot. And then, like I said, mainstream wasn't really wanting to cover cannabis as a legitimate industry. So I felt like if I'm not finding what I want to read, then there's a gap in the market. And so I can fill that. Excellent. And did the green market report name kind of find itself or is that something that you had to brainstorm a little bit? We brainstormed on that. We were, um, you know, in 2017, we were still worried about bank accounts. So we were yes. concerned about using the word marijuana or cannabis in the title. And then we also felt like green gave us a little bit of flexibility. So if we wanted to do any kind of sustainable writing or do any, you know, we do cover psychedelic plant medicine so it gave us that little bit of flexibility, um, whereas maybe another outlet that uses the name cannabis or marijuana in it, to me, feels kind very limited into what they can cover. I see. Yeah, it's always good to have that flex space, that kind of gray area in your, in your content and topics to explore, as you never know what the industry is going to throw at you, like psychedelics. <laughs> right, right. And, and as you know, in, in, in journalism and in news, you know, the what people want to read does vary and change um, throughout the years. So we wanted to have that ability to be flexible. And then also, like I said, have the, not have that 
name hurting us um, in the business world. Now, now today, it probably it could, could work the other way. Issue, but <laughs> yeah, you know, six years I think ago, it's still unique for businesses to, to try to get have non cannabis names. It's good to see that creativity exploring that. So with Green Market Report oh. up and running then, um, how did the relationship with Cranes come to be or how did the scaling go up to that point? Right. It was, I'm not going to lie, it was hard. It was definitely hard. Um, I had a, a big team of freelancers. Um, and, oh, okay. you know, when I had money, I could have more people. And then we did events to, to bring money in. And then COVID hit. So, of course, that meant we couldn't do events anymore. That was really a, a pivot that, you know, hurt a lot of people, um, hurt us for sure. Um, we were luckily able to get some advertising in. Um, but it's really, you know, definitely with journalism, it's really hard to scale because you're trying to get more people to read your work, but you need more content to get more people. And you need it to, to spend money. Chicken to, or the egg. Yeah, and you and <laughs> and you you're you're trying to get the word out, and you know have to deal with SEO and um, getting pulled up into Google search. It, so there's a there's a lot of behind the scenes plumbing that happens with media in order to get the attention you need, to get the numbers you need, to get the advertising you need. So there's this whole process. Um, but but. I would say with Green Market, we just really stayed true to our mission and we didn't try to jump in, you know, at shiny new toys and keep jumping around. Um, we just kind of kept focus on what we did and did it really well, which was staying focused on financial news uh, on versus that core going purpose. into like cultural lifestyle or medical or, or you know, any of the advocacy right things like that. Um, and I think by keeping that narrow focus and being really good at it and doing quality work, we got the attention of, of other companies. Um, uh, we had I another see. offer, but, but, uh, declined it. And when Crane approached us, um, it was just, it, it was the kind of partner that I was looking for, which was someone who had that, um, success in media and could help, green market scale because they had already done this and had a long history of doing this. It's a privately owned company, um, third generation family owned business, and they own many titles across a lot of different areas. They're very focused on B2B titles. Uh, okay. So That's what I was learning companies. about their, their portfolio and saw that they were kind of part of many, many industries bringing business magazines and, and different kind of content focused pieces. That's great. And, yeah, and so that, that sticking to your focus is, is key to product management. Um, in my day job, I build software applications and help companies create products. And it's always tempting to see that new shiny object and just say like, well, maybe we should put two developers over here. And there's this drive to want to do it all. And it's the companies that really um, hold on to what their original purpose was, that original product value is, that can can keep it happening. You might be able to do some of the shiny stuff, but you can't focus on it. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, we could do bong reviews and we may get, you know, sponsored right. by a bong company and it brings in money, but is that who we want to be? No, that's not our yeah. brand. Does it, and it might dilute your readership or kind of right now it, or at the at time, it, it feels like green market report has, it fills a job and it does a job for people that need it. 
And if you were to dilute that, perhaps they don't, they wouldn't be getting that job done as efficiently to get the headlines and kind of see the moving and the, the shaking going on in the space. Right. Um, one of our, I mean, one of our competitors just recently went through that. They were called out for having an AI generated story. And, you know, that hurts credibility. It's not good. Right. And so, you know, that's something that we just won't do. And right. That that is great. (laughs) You know, and that and and no shame on that. I mean, I you know, there's a lot of good uses for AI um, and it's it's very expensive to do to do media, to pay people what they should be paid that are good at what they do costs a lot of money. And it's it's. Journalism is hard. People don't want to advertise. They don't want to sponsor events. So, you know, it gets, so, it gets really tough. And we, on and one right hand, now, you could almost see. Is still free. Yes. So you thank can you read for all that. our news for free. <laughs> it's not behind a paywall. And we're trying to keep it that way for as long as possible. Um, you know, hopefully with, with advertising and with events, we'll be able to keep the news for free. I'd hate for it to go behind a paywall to only subscribers, but it we may end up having to go that route just because that's how you got to pay good writers. hundred percent. Yeah. As a part-time writer myself, I, I see that value that's, that's going in the right direction. And, um, yeah. having that, having that content base is, is something else being able to act on the headlines or, you know, having folks check the daily newsletter to stay in tune with the space the cannabis industry is nothing if not constant change. Uh, what do you think Indeed. about uh, the industry, actually, from your perspective as a journalist? I, m- I imagine it just keeps you on your toes uh, compared to like writing about construction, maybe, or you know, other aspects of manufacturing. Right. So, I mean, look, that's you see that in mature markets. There's just not a whole lot to say. I mean, is there a whole lot to say about? The alcohol industry? Not really. You know, new products. Same with tobacco. Maybe new combinations, a new brand here and there, celebrity endorsement. That's it, you know. But with cannabis, you know, it's it, it's just a constant flow of stories and story ideas. So whether we're talking about um, new companies, existing companies, companies that have behaved badly, companies that are doing well and expanding... Um, yes, there is a whole lot of product, uh, information to discuss. There's a lot of legislation to discuss. I saw on green market report that Israel was investigating some Canadian competition in the global space as well. And I imagine that's been very interesting from your perspective to see these cannabis headlines and these journalist topics start to leave the U S Canada border. Well, Israel's very interesting in the sense that um, a lot of scientific research on medical marijuana has been done in Israel. Uh, So we've followed that for a while um, because of that heritage of scientific research in in medical marijuana. So it's it it, when when the trouble started happening over there with the uh, Hamas attack, um, we certainly started writing a couple of stories about that, which is very unusual for us because we, we tend, tend to typically don't go into that area. Um, but because it, de- it definitely affected some of the companies and their employees. Um, but, you know, the market's still humming along. Uh, but, yeah, we are we we've seen a lot of Canadian companies want to get involved with the Israeli market because the Canadian market kind of plateaued 
they're they're a mature Indeed. market. They've kind of seen sales start to kind of level out, and um, they don't necessarily want to go and look for new customers. That's kind of in a the country. Awkward. It's more working on their GMP and being able to distribute now and actually sell to yeah. the other countries. Yeah, that's and, and that's, vice versa. And, they, you know, a lot of uh, Israeli uh, companies have wanted to to leave their market as well and and sell and expand. So kind of finding those constraints those in their home country, needing to go out outside of it. Yeah, and um, shout out and condole and rest in peace to Raphael Mishulam, right, the Israeli oh, right, yeah. uh, scientist and uh, researcher who died last year. I think he was in his nineties, and he originally got some hash from the. Israeli police to kind of start his string of investigation. He's personally responsible for so many cannabinoids and discovery of different molecules, um, the entourage effect, a lot of what we know about cannabis science. Uh, he's kind of the godfather there. Exactly. That's cool and, to and see that seeing, he just leaned into it. We are seeing a little bit of an expansion in, in the, the European markets, but that's that's been a little slower and a little lower um, that there's still a lot of stigma issues going on over there and a lot of education uh, that needs to happen for the the people there. They don't really understand it as well as we did here. Um, so that, th- those are those are interesting markets to watch. Um, our readership is really mostly in North America. Um, so we, we don't put as much time into those international stories as we do the domestic stories. And that makes sense, too, as the space expands and um, a lot of the action is going on in North America still with a lot of mergers, acquisitions, company changes and more. Um, it's always fun seeing what the morning what the morning brings the next day. Right, right. And we, we have that newsletter, The Morning Rise. It goes out at 7 a.m. to everybody's inboxes. Um, all original content every single morning. So... Uh, like you said, it's definitely um, a heavy lift to be able to deliver really good news first thing in the morning, fresh news every single morning, not an aggregation of other people's headlines. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have staff writers then, or are they still freelance journalists that are helping no, on, the, I am, on the program? I am blessed with um, one of the best reporters out there, John Schroer, who came to us from MJ Biz. He's our senior reporter. And then our breaking news reporter is um, Adam Jackson. So I've got two full-time reporters. And then I do some content. I still write. Um, And then we have a managing editor, Janelle Stelton-Holtmeyer. And then we have our head of sales and events, Mary Pemberton. So we've got five full-time people. Oh, wow. So you're able to keep keep the program lean that way. Well, by keeping the rosters lower, we, I like we, that we too. We hustle. We work really, really <laughs> hard to to put. We put out a lot of content. In fact, um, I just was looking at a number the other day. Uh, we're at, after being online six years, we're almost at eight thousand published articles. Um, at this point, we're over a hundred thousand page views every month, and wow. we're yeah. well over a million page views um, per year. So we're we're really building and really starting to, you know, get some traction now on on growth. That's excellent. Yeah, and I imagine there's so many folks that have either been in the space for a while that need to get that content update, or now it's starting to expand with new states opening up that they need, just need to learn. It's a good place to just start getting your feet wet and read about what's going on in the space, kind of what exists. Indeed, and 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 we're not, you know. 
again, like I said, journalism is, is a hard place to be. The LA Times just said they were laying off a lot of people. Sports Illustrated just said that they're they're pulled back as well. Um, it's it's tough. And, you, you know, even within cannabis media, there's a lot of it that is shut down already or scaled back. So um, it's, it's only good for the industry to have people um, paying attention and watching and writing about it. Right. Yeah. It's definitely good to show that industry stability as well. Cause I think from an investment perspective, the rocky nature of cannabis and the ins and outs, if you're not really understanding what's moving there, you're more hesitant maybe to get involved with any money or any business intention and having like that steady stream of journalism of uh, well-sourced reporting. Uh, it definitely builds a confidence maybe in your own decision-making help with some data and research. What kind of events are on the plate for Green Market Report this year? I saw well, your um, auto response with the most recent event, if you want to talk about that one. Right. I was just in Cleveland yesterday, Crane, Cleveland. Uh, so Crane has, yeah. has four uh, city books. They call them the city books. And it's Crane, Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago, and New York. And so Crane, Cleveland just had their first cannabis summit. The state of Ohio just recently passed issue two, which was a voter uh, ballot initiative to legalize adult use cannabis. And so this was their first event. It was really well attended, um, almost 200 people. There's no program there yet. They just passed the law, so it's got to get uh, you oh, know, written wow. and figured out. So yeah, it's, so it's fresh. It <laughs> very new. Um, there's a lot of expectations, though, for this market to be pretty strong. Um, it will certainly affect its neighbors, which would be, you know, Illinois and Missouri and, you know, maybe Minnesota. Kentucky you know, the, there eventually. All these states are going to definitely be affected. Um, Pennsylvania, um, all their neighbors. So that went really well. We are, for the first time, partnering with NECAN in Boston on March 22nd. So we're going to do their finance Great. agenda. It is an add-on ticket. Uh, it's an extra $85 to the NECAN ticket, which is actually, I think, pretty, pretty low priced. Um, That's to kind of attend the finance tier. Is it the day before or does it run throughout the conference? It is the, it is the first day of NECAN. So NECAN runs the 22nd to the 23rd and okay. our finance agenda will be on the 22nd at the Heinz Convention Center. So we're super excited about that. Um, That's great. Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 you know, again, it's all about scaling. Um, I think you're going to see more of this in the cannabis industry where people partner up and come together. You know, it's, we're stronger in numbers kind of idea. Um, and, and let's work together and benefit each other rather than working against each other. Uh, there's a lot of events in cannabis, and so people have to start to pick and choose which one they're going to go to and how much That's money they can That's getting harder spend. every year, isn't it? It, it does, and, and but it's also very hard to make money at events, so I think a lot of people will start to, you know, no pun intended, get weeded out. Uh, yes, we're also yeah. doing a, a women's summit in May in New York City. We've done several of these, and they've been really popular, and then we're going to do another women's summit in October in Denver, so that way people that are on the western very side cool. of the country don't have to spend the money and the time flying all the way to New York. They can wait till October and do the Denver event, whereas the women in the Northeast or, or the East Coast can kind of come to New York. Um, so we're, we love these events. Um, they are all female panels. Men are obviously welcome, uh, but we like to give women uh, a really uh, 
a good opportunity to be visible and, and be heard. And a lot of our topics at these events are very much focused towards female entrepreneurs and um, women in the cannabis industry. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, so we're, we, we love those events and they, they're being able they, to empower very and popular. Right, right. And definitely we've had some guests on the show that uh, we should send out to those conferences. We got House of Puff in New York. Um, ah, Christina, the, uh, Emerge. yeah, she's, she's spoken at our events. Awesome, yeah. And then we had uh, Delia Rojas from Emerge Law Group and uh, a few of the other attorneys there as well that are up in, I think, New Jersey and New York area. Well, that's yeah. that's great to hear those conferences growing and, and getting a little specialized, right? Sometimes the conferences can be a little too general. At a certain point in everyone's cannabis career, those general conferences are valuable. The initial networking, kind of getting your feet wet, but once you sort of know where you're falling and kind of what you're pushing or what your new mission is in cannabis, there are these specialized conferences that can get you there farther. Do you have any advice for listeners who attend cannabis conferences to try and get value out of that or to come away with it feeling as though the two days were more than a uh, like a low-key networking session or a, sometimes a high-key one if you're coming to Vegas? <laughs> I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. If you are new to this industry, going to a, a broad, general topic event is good because you can listen to a lot of different speakers and kind of start to figure out where you fit into the industry. And then as you go along, you start to realize, well, I'm not in cultivation, so I really don't want to go to an event that's really focused around cultivation. It's just a waste of my time. I'm really into whatever it is, brand building, or I'm into the financial side or real estate or whatever. So you start to look for those events that drill down into that so that you're not wasting your time and you're meeting the people you want to meet. So that's, yes, that's right. you know, my suggestion. I mean, some, and, and I will tell you too, bigger is not necessarily better because you'll go to a, an MJ biz. that has got 20,000 people there. And, um, it's a little you're not gonna, overwhelming you're not gonna, maybe, huh? It, you're not going to ha- develop relationships with people. There, there's a great book called The Art of Gathering, and it talks about events when they get to that size, you end up just looking for people you know. And so you're not meeting new people. You're just looking for, is there anyone in the room for me to talk to? Oh, there's Jim. I'm going to Isn't that interesting? Him. You go to yeah, a small I think that my event. experience at BizCon is very similar to that. It's kind of walking around, seeing the people that I know. Uh, versus maybe my experience at Lucky Leaf or Imperius, some smaller cons where you're standing and you're talking. You're talking to everybody. <laughs> we we it's so funny because people get FOMO or 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 they they think they need to be at these big events and then they walk away yes. and go, well, I didn't get yeah. anything out of that. And then they see you these just got small a hotel bill. <laughs> they think, well, I don't want to go to that event because there's only 200 people there. There's only 100 people there. There's only 80 people there. It's, it must be a terrible event. There's only 80 people there. But you go to those little events, and those are the ones where you meet people that become your packaging company, that give you a great deal on accounting. They're the people that go, oh, yeah, we've been looking for someone to to do our chocolate. Those are the connections that you make that end up being real connections and doing real business. And and I, it's interesting. I think people are starting to figure that out, that the smaller events are actually the more uh, productive events for you. Right, right. And I, I do like the events that facilitate a little bit of networking as well. 
for for those of us that maybe aren't as good at bouncing from conversation to conversation, uh, the the kind of facilitated networking is a great way to just like guaranteed meet a lot of people or have some quick conversations in kind of that speed dating form that can kind of get you in the vibe too and open uh, open up that kind of conversational nature that conferences require. I think I might be a little bit introverted. So initially getting into conferences and walking and talking with all these strangers was like so overwhelming for me. I would be happy if I just talked to like three or four people there in the whole conference. And that was a win for me, but (laughs) it was baby steps, I think. (laughs) And sometimes the smaller events, you you do get access to people that you wouldn't normally have access to. I think um, at one of our women's events, we had Kim Rivers from Truly, and she was just sitting out in the audience. She sat there the whole day. She was there at our event the whole day. People were just going up to her and going, That's wonderful. Can I ask you about this? And she was accessible and, and lovely and imparting lots of advice and, and talk and just talking to people. Um, that's the kind of stuff that is, yeah, that, that at a smaller event, you can walk up to the Jason Wilds of Terrasen and say, Hey man, can you give me some advice? I'm blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, they're there. Um, you go to an MG Biz and you're not going to get anywhere near these people. You're going to have to fight for time or get a few seconds because there is a good, there, there is a time and a place for it. So I don't, I don't want people to think I'm just a hundred percent. Yeah, no, BizCon has its, has its time and its purpose. It is what it is, is this massive party event at the end of the year, really bringing companies together and kind of celebrating the industry overall while Mm -hmm. still providing some networking options and allowing people to see new booths, new content. That is one trade floor that I feel like I can wander for days and I never really see everyone there. <laughs> that is so true. But no, it's excellent to hear the partnerships coming on the, the green market side and to see the trajectory as well from providing the journalism aspect and then becoming more of a go-to tool and service for the space to now stepping into events and providing those networking areas to facilitate new business owners and new content, right? New you know, new entrepreneurs that may generate future articles. So I can see that feedback loop being built. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we love events. We love to, to talk to people. The more we talk to people, the more stories, ideas we get. Um, and the more we understand from our audience what they are wanting to read and what, what they are curious about or what they need information on. So it, it goes both ways. It's helpful to us and it's helpful to them. When it comes to the uh, next conferences, then for any can, uh, are there already speakers aligned for your financial agenda or are you looking for new speakers or for for folks to volunteer? We do have our speakers uh, pretty much lined up um, about the only couple of spots we have left. We have um, a special section called Meet the Investors where we're having investors come for like a quick, almost like a speed dating, but like a quick fireside chat for five minutes and then they're out and then the next one comes in. So that's going to be oh, kind cool. of different and fun. Uh, we are actually creating a new um, page on our website for uh, people to uh, drop a line and tell us if they're interested in speaking at one of our future events. So we we hopefully we'll have that live next week. <laughs> no oh, promises. Cool. We're we're cool. trying to get the formatting and the <laughs> buttons, all this stuff that people don't ever know happens behind the scenes on little websites. Takes time, pages. doesn't it? Um, yeah. So, 
So hopefully next week we'll yeah. have that, and it'll it'll be a uh, a you know speaker invitation, so we can start to broaden the pool beyond just the people that we kind of know in our various circles. Uh, so that hopefully that will right. go up next week. Oh, excellent! Yeah, that's a good way to bring the community and potentially hear from some voices that um, that exactly. haven't had the light yet. I know there's yeah. there's good folks grinding in their respective trades around cannabis, and I think finance and accounting is one piece of cannabis that can be overlooked at times, yet also determines the the very bedrock of the industry. It's and interesting that everybody that- has a, a public relations firm that can go out and get them booked as speakers. So that's, that's another thing too, is we realize not everybody yes. can afford PR firms, which are very expensive. Um, they do great work. Um, they do great work for their clients. We work with all right. of them, but shout not out to uh, Matteo communications. Good folks over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's and, a and lot how of about there's the... Maverick, there's KCSA. I mean, I can go on and on. And how about the move to the awards? If we talk about the notable leaders in cannabis awards, uh, that is a page that I spend a lot of time on. I'm actually on a mission to try to bring as many of those folks from your list onto Apartment 113 over the next year or so to hear from them and learn about what they've been doing in the space. And it is a wonderful who's who in the industry um, reading through those that are on the list. How did that idea for the awards come about and the um, generation of the awardees? So we typically do awards with our summits. Um, we do like to recognize people in the industry. It's a tough industry and you grind it out. You work really hard and don't get a lot of recognition. Uh, so so we feel it's important to recognize people within the industry. Uh, Notables is actually a crane product. Uh, crane Communications oh, okay. has done Notables um, in all their publications. Uh, they, they do mostly print pieces. We had idea. We had originally hoped that this would be a print piece, uh, but we we did not get the advertising sold uh, to to cover the cost of printing, so we had to keep it digital only, which was uh, unfortunate and disappointing. Uh, but you know, hopefully, as we keep moving forward, we'll be able to circle back to that and do that again. Um, but yeah, yeah, we. We always have um, awards with every one of our summits, and we will have uh, awards for the finance one as well. Um, people are awesome. able to nominate Great. for the awards at these events, and I will say, you know, we do charge $99 to nominate someone. Some people don't like that, uh, but it is expensive to run. It's expensive to run these um, awards software programs. Uh, <laughs> If you've ever keep the lights gone online on and looked them up, they're very expensive. Uh, the trophies, the the events, um, we we do need to try to make money to do this journalism, and so that is one of the ways that we try to do it. And um, as a journalist, I'm very accustomed to paying for application fees for journalism awards. It's standard on that front. It's standard, and so yeah. the people get upset about that in cannabis always throws me because it's like, well, in journalism, we always pay for these things. Like You wouldn't think about arguing that or having years. a problem with the fee. Yeah. Well, then, how? Uh, I guess let's wrap up and look at the psychedelic space. And I guess what is your, what is your perspective or your insight here towards the two spaces and how they're differing from one another or maybe following the same path? Yeah, psychedelics, um, I think a lot of companies got into them and there's there's certainly a lot of promise 
for these compounds without a doubt. But the, the research um, is not very extensive. They're, they're really at the early stages of doing all this research. A lot of the companies don't have the money to, to get them through to the end of all that research. So we're seeing a lot of companies um, going under, a lot of companies getting bought out, a lot of merging, a lot of consolidation. Uh, within psychedelics, you kind of see them going in, in two different directions. You see the very heavy biotech side with the FDA study trials, and then you have the more cultural, fun, recreational side, and then throw in the middle, you've got this functional mushroom supplement side. So kind of similar right, the to kind of microdosing what we've seen with cannabis, daily. where we've got recreational adult use, we've got medical marijuana, and then we've got like the CBD supplement hemp thing going on. Health and wellness area, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. what we're. So we see that that parallel in, in psychedelics, um, but the expense of doing those study trials um, is enormous. It's it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, so to um, survive those studies and and get the results and act on the results and and keep the company still is is difficult, right? That's where a lot of this acquisitions are happening, huh? Kind yeah, of shaking up why, to see who's the leader at the end. Uh, companies like Compass focusing in on drugs like MDMA, uh, which already has gone through a lot of these processes. So they're kind of picking off the low hanging fruit to start. So that they can get that money in, then they can pay for psilocybin, and then they can pay for DMT and some of these other compounds uh, that need a little bit more time. But like I said, the early research on things like psilocybin is, is fantastic. Um, so hopefully, you know, they can wait that out and, and be able to have the, the money they need to keep going down that path because it could help millions of people. Right, right. I hope we can have this call again in a year or two and be talking about the benefits of, of therapeutic psilocybin and microdosing. Just getting over grief, trauma, pain, any kind of past thing that's just keeping you from living your best. The therapeutic nature there that psychedelics have, even used very lightly, is uh, unparalleled. I'm really looking forward to see how culture shifts with that in the in the arsenal for um, for caregivers and for you know healing, that and, and there's obviously fair you know end of life treatments. You know, this. Oh man, a hundred percent. Yeah, and and having those psychedelics at your disposal at end of life to potentially um, ease any pain or suffering on that side or help you find grace or solace at the end. It I can't think of a more beautiful way uh, to end or to wrap that up. Yeah, either, you know, to have an LSD trip or something strong to really uh, assess your life and the world around you. Uh, it's um, just nothing else could offer that, you know, you can't, you can't therapy or talk your way into that mind state. Sometimes you have to be kind of placed in it. And psychedelia is very good at laying you back, <laughs> sometimes maybe not so gently, but um, it, it, pu it puts you down into the perspective that you need to have. Yeah, and I mean, calming I, you I love and taking to see away that. the fear of the unknown, the fear of, of the end, you know, that, that you're relaxed and and taking that next step on that next journey. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's, there's something very poignant about that to to see it see it off potentially with with a trip or with psychedelic therapy and handling different ailments or um, 
things that may come down in life with a little bit of microdosing as well, sure to just keep a more positive spin on things. So I'm really looking forward to see what the industry becomes there. I obviously, I understand the recreational use for psychedelia, um, kind of growing up in that scene and seeing the parties and the vibes that you can have fun with the substance, of course, and, <laughs> and maybe be surprised by the, the reality you get even just partying that you're still, you're still becoming more optimistic or your mindset is changing. But it's that, it's that microdosing therapeutic use that I really look forward to seeing available. And I personally want, I would like to be able to source that myself easily and quickly to maintain a microdosing regime without uh, any, uh, any pain or, or issues acquiring and making it work. Yeah, guesswork on what's actually there. So kudos to those cities that have started to pass some laws as well on, on decrim. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> well, awesome, Deborah. I want to thank you again for running Green Market Report and and keeping the journalistic integrity there with the financial news and the and the business news. Uh, it's a common source for me, and um, yeah, just I'm looking forward to see what comes from Green Market, and I hope I can attend one of the events soon. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And in the meantime, uh, where can our listeners find you and get signed up for the daily newsletter? They can go to www.greenmarketreport.com. If you go to our website, there will be a sign up for the newsletters. Please sign up for them. We need those uh, subscribers. And uh, like I told Rob, soon enough, we will have a a speaker uh, invitation. So you can uh, start to give us information if you want to be a speaker at one of our events. listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.